Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 19 of the Average to Elite podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we are looking at nutrition and eating strategies for the ultra-endurance athlete. So today I'm going to share with you five key considerations and principles that you need to know and be aware about uh, so you can perform at your best when it matters the most. So I've been working with ultra-endurance athletes for the past few years now. So what I'll be sharing with you is, yes, the research, but a lot of like my own uh, anecdotal experiences working with athletes. Um, so you have the lowdown. Um, I know what to do uh, going into your next event when your events do um, finally become rescheduled. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. Number one is going to be very much your energy demands. So we know when it comes to optimizing performance, we need to meet the body's demands in the best way possible. Now, when we think of meeting the body's demands from a nutrition perspective, we're thinking of your total calorie intake, your carbohydrate intake, and we're looking at your fluid intake as well. And we're going to go into the carbohydrate and fluid intake in um, later on in this podcast. But what we're going to just concentrate on at the moment is just the calorie demands. Now, this is quite difficult to actually determine, um, basically because there's a lot of things we need to consider. So first of all, your body weight. So that's gonna have a huge bearing on the amount of calories you need per day. So is the intensity, so is the duration, and so is the mode. And with all that, um, ultra-endurance events are gonna have different terrains. So are you partially doing stuff on road, off road? Um, is it pretty flat? Is it mountainous? Um, we're going to take into account the climate conditions as well. Are you running, you know, through sort of temperate sort of environments, or you in the Sahara Desert and you're doing, you know, mountain disarps? So all these things we need to take into account. However, when research has looked at if and asked the question, have or should we say, do and ultra-endurance athletes meet the body's demands whilst they're actually running? Um, and the answer very much is no. So on average, in this sort of select population they've studied, um, it was reported that they consumed about 36 to 53% of their racing energy expenditure, which can be very much down to, you know, a couple of things. One, being a lack of appetite. Two, could be, you know, just having gut issues or gastrointestinal distress. Three, it could be down to food availability. And four, which ties into three, is just a lack of planning. So we know this is going to be really important to have all this, all these issues taken care of um, in the weeks and months leading up to this event. I trial these things in training first. So you are familiar with how the race or the event is actually going to unfold so you know this whole test don't guess the last thing you want to be doing is training really hard for like an iron man or something um and then get to the, to the day of the event and trial your nutrition strategies because if something goes wrong the whole event is you know complete void um so the whole idea is just trying to get all these learning experiences done in training first so everything's locked and load uh come race day now, one of the big things that we need to take into consideration here is, like I kind of mentioned, is the intensity and the duration. For example, now, if you are a 70 kilo male, 
if you were to do a 80 kilometer running race, so an ultra marathon, uh, and you're doing it about sort of eight kilometers per hour on average, it'll take you, you know, roughly about 10 hours. In that event, in that race, you'll be burning about 4,845 calories. Now, if you to do double the distance, so 100, 160 kilometers, you're obviously not going to be running at the same pace. So the pace will actually drop. So say, for example, it drops down to 6.5 kilometers per hour, but it takes you 25 hours to complete. That will actually lead to an expenditure about sort of 9,891 calories. So yes, you're burning a lot more. So when you break this down into an hour by hour basis, if you were doing uh, you know, that eight kilometer per hour run for 10 hours, you'd be looking at burning around 500 calories per hour. Now, if you're doing the 160 kilometer race at a pace of 6.5 kilometers per hour, you'll be burning around 400 calories per hour. So four to 500 calories per hour doesn't actually sound like that much. And it sounds actually quite achievable. But if you're trying to put this much food, food volume, liquid, and so on, in you on an hourly basis for 10 to 25 hours, this could be very difficult to do. And this is where athletes just place themselves in very large calorie deficits. They're not able to meet the body's demands and their performance fades very significantly towards the end of that event. So that's when it comes back down to trialing strategies and training first so we know what works and what doesn't work. What I also like doing as well is perhaps not looking at the calorie expenditure on that day itself and trying to meet the body's demands directly there. I will actually try and, um, you know, obviously carbide reload the day before and perhaps over um, suggest and over prescribe how many sort of calories they need so their 48 hour calorie balance is still in check so we know we need to do a carbohydrate load anyway to ensure that carbohydrate stores are you know you know topped up your tanks are fully topped up which gives you a greater capacity to exercise before depletion and we know that's where your muscle is not going to be able to contract produce force and it feels like you are running through um very very deep sort of syrup so yes we can look at the you know the 48 hour calorie balance so that is going to be our first protocol but ultimately we still want to try and uh, achieve those you know the calorie intake that's going to meet those calorie expansion values on an hourly basis as best as we can now, this is where your food choices are really going to come into play, which is one of the principles we are going to cover. But essentially, principle and point number one, just be very aware of how many calories you actually burn during an ultra endurance race and all the different factors that go into it and the importance of trialing these strategies in training first. So there's no nasty and hidden surprises come race day. Principle number two um, is your macronutrients. So once we are quite happy that we're satisfying our calorie balance, we got to then take one step further and just look at the macronutrient intake. So this is going to change slightly between um, race day and competition events versus just your training week. So when it comes to your protein side of things, we know that protein is going to gain 
help with boss remodeling, uh, adaptation, and is going to play a sort of integral role with the immune system as well. So during the training week, we're looking at a range between 1.6 and 2.5 grams per kilogram of high quality protein. So this, generally speaking, takes about 15% of your total energy intake, uh, but we don't necessarily, again, go into percentages because we want to have things relative to your body weight. So that's the kind of range. On race day, we're probably not going to have that much protein because protein is very hard to digest and break down. Um, and therefore, it's just going to sort of create this bottleneck situation in your gut where, you know, you're just going to have a lot of sort of food in your gut. And when you're trying to exercise at high intensity, that blood is going to be sort of uh, diverted from that gut to support um, digestion absorption and be, you know, diverted to these worker muscles because that's a higher priority. And if you've got sort of undigested foods sat in your, in your gut, um, it could be very detrimental for, you know, um, gastrointestinal distress. Um, you've probably seen the pictures and the videos of people either throwing up or shitting themselves. So obviously we don't have that on race day. So during the training week, high protein on race day itself, protein isn't the highest priority. It may have a role, um, but it's not the highest priority. So that's the only thing we change between uh, race and the training week. Now, when it comes to your fat and carbohydrate ratios, ultimately, they're going to make up the remainder of your calorie intake. We always work off the motto, fuel for the work required. So the more exercise we do, the more carbohydrates we need in our diet to facilitate that. Now, your range is going to be roughly, again, dependent on your training um, intensity and duration and so on. You're going to be looking around 6 to 10 grams of kilogram. So 6 to 10 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram that you weigh. So your body weight times 6 to 10. Now, if you've got higher training demands, um, you can definitely sort of increase that further. You know, the highest I've sort of suggested for someone, I think it's believe, I believe it's between 16 and 18 grams per kilo uh, during an Ironman is pretty high intakes. Um, but ultimately, again, we're looking at fueling for the work required. But here's the thing. If we can't get enough carbohydrates into the diet due to either gastrointestinal distress, um, appetite, palatability, uh, and like the desire to eat these carbohydrates, then we perhaps would look for a tiny bit of a higher fat intake. So I would suggest starting off between one to 1.5 grams per kilogram of fat in your diet. But again, if you're struggling to hit your carb quota for the day, then I would allocate a little bit more fat with the top end, perhaps being about two gram per kilo. Um, just again, just to help meet these higher calorie needs. And this is going to be very similar between um, training and race. So training, yes, we want to focus on carbohydrates and then sort of fat, but then same kind of way of thinking comes into the race again. We want to focus on carbohydrates first, then fat. But if we can't hit a carbohydrate quota on both scenarios, then we introduce a little bit more fat. And one of the points I'm going to cover in terms of food choices uh, later on is going to explain uh, the importance of this. Point number three is fluid intake. So we know that dehydration can increase cardiovascular and physiological strain. So many of you will be wearing heart rate monitors uh, during your 
training sessions and events. So you might be able to see like a little bit of a trend with this. If you've kind of seen your heart rates all of a sudden just spike, um, that could be a, a nice sort of indication of increased cardiovascular strain due to dehydration because we know that your blood plasma levels are going to drop, i.e. your blood pressure is going to drop to um, help with sweat rates to dissipate that heat. Therefore, in return, your heart rate is going to increase. Your heart has to work a little bit harder trying to, make, to try and maintain um, adequate sort of blood pressure. And so this is where the increased cardiovascular strain comes into it. Now, obviously, this is not a very good thing because that's just going to you know, burn us out a little bit quicker and, you know, worsen endurance performance. So what we know is that thirst-driven fluid intake is not adequate. So many individuals um, who are not competing in sport or high training demands can just drink the thirst. That is absolutely fine. But we know that if your training demands are very high, drinking a thirst may not be adequate because you're not going to be able to meet the body's demands. So I've covered this in previous podcasts, but a simple way to do this to measure your fluid needs during your training session or event is simply just weigh yourself before and after and see what the net change in body weight is. And that can that loss can be very much down to your fluid intake. All you need to do then is just take into account the amount of fluid you've consumed, and that'll give you a nice sort of exercise um, prescription of your individual fluid intake. So what's also useful for that method is for the rehydration side of things. So we know we need to play the 150% rule. Um, so say for example, you've lost two liters of fluid in that session. Uh, we need to consume three liters of fluid. So two liters times 1.5 uh, in the hours following to help with adequate rehydration. And what we need to uh, think as well is always starting your event or training session in a hydrated state. So we don't want to be hypohydrated, so dehydrated, neither do we want to be hypohydrated, so I too much water on board. Um, so a nice sort of way of um, doing this with regards to the guidelines, I just would suggest aiming between 300 and 500 ml of fluid per hour the day before. So you wake up the following day in a relatively um, hydrated state. And then again, focus on that three to 500 ml uh, of fluid leading into the event where perhaps just tapering fluid ever so slightly in the last 90 minutes, just so you don't have too much fluid sat in your um, you and essentially just need to go to the toilet to uh, avoid that. Now, this again is very much dependent on the individual. Um, you know, if you're a slightly small person, 500 mil per hour might feel like you're drowning yourself. Uh, obviously, that's going to be a little bit too much for you. So you just, um, you know, adjust these numbers downwards. So if you think of like uh, recommendations for fluid intake in the heat in the day before and leading up to it, it's about six milliliters per kilo every two to three hours, which can work out to maybe about 250, 300 mil of fluid per hour on average. So around that sort of ballpark figure, play around with it, find out what works for you. But essentially we just need to be starting that event in a hydrated state. A question I do get is, how do I know if I'm hydrated when I wake up first thing in the morning? So there's a really nice sort of Venn diagram 
Um, everybody loves a good Venn diagram. And this one is by Chevron and Soka. And I apologize if I completely butchered those names because I don't know how to pronounce them. Um, my bad. So basically, it just goes off uh, looking at your weight, your urine color, and thirst perception. Now, each one of these is indicative of dehydration uh, or likeliness for dehydration. But if you put them all together, you are very likely to be dehydrated. So if, for example, you wake up the following day and your weight is stable, is that maintenance is roughly what you tend to uh, weigh on a daily basis, perfect. That would indicate that you are perhaps hydrated. If your urine cl is clear uh, and not that kind of goldy, yellowy brown, then that's going to suggest you're probably hydrated. And if you're not thirsty, then and that is also going to suggest you're probably not dehydrated. Now, once you start putting all these together, um, then I, you are waking up lighter uh, than usual, your urine color is dark and you're very thirsty, then that could be indicated of is that, you know, you're probably actually quite dehydrated and you probably need to start drinking some fluid. So we start that event in a euhydrated state. Now, one thing that we need to uh, consider as well is we're not just drinking water, we're going to be drinking some form of electrolytes on board as well to ensure that we're starting with um, adequate sodium or blood sodium levels to avoid and running the risk of hypernitremia. So this is low blood sodium uh, levels whilst you are performing, competing and, you know, doing your thing. Now, when it comes to the recommendations during the event itself, um, we're going to be looking about 150 to 250 milliliters of fluid approximately every 20 minutes. Now, some people, again, would say that's, well, well, that's way too much. And some people say like, well, I can actually drink quite a bit more than that uh, without having any sort of gastrointestinal distress and so on. But they, again, these are the ballpark figures. Let's find out what works for you. But the whole idea is, just think about drip feeding your fluid intake throughout that race. You don't want to get to the end of 60 minutes not having anything, then necking 500 ml of water. The next 60 minutes, 500 ml of water and so on. Or should I say fluid, um, not water. So what we're going to think about, again, perhaps set intervals every 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, like a little alarm to go off in your watch to drink uh, some fluid just because I know from working with individuals, with athletes, um, once you're kind of in full race mode, you can very much forget to do these things. You know, if you're, um, you know, very much in the moment and you just focus on pacing strategy, look, monitoring all these other things, what's your heart rate doing, what's your pace doing, everything like that, you can pretty much just forget to either eat some food, get some carbohydrates on board or get some fluid on board as well. So that's why it's just quite nice to have it like clockwork every 20 minutes, every 15 minutes, every 10 minutes, whatever works for you, just to get something on board and think about topping up uh, instead of getting to the end of that hour and think, oh shit, I haven't had anything. I should probably uh, think about, um, you know, consuming some fluid so I don't fall into that um, hypohydrated or dehydrated state. Now, I mentioned um, something called hypernitremia. So this is basically low blood sodium levels. Now you see some freak accidents um, are in the news where people die from essentially water intoxication. 
Now, this is very much caused by excessive uh, sodium loss from high sweat rates. So, for example, if you're like one of those salty sweaters, uh, you know, you can be losing a lot of sodium from the blood, um, followed by excessive rehydration of water without the sodium or additional electrolytes. So, again, you're just diluting your plasma sodium levels. Now, what this can do is then essentially causes hypernatremia, so low sodium levels within the blood, causes cell swelling, um, and this can first of all lead to headaches, fatigue, uh, to nausea, then it gets kind of worse into seizures, and then worst case scenario is death. And again, this is where you see these horror um, stories on the news where, for example, people doing uh, ultra marathons or even just marathons, running it at a very slow pace, losing a lot of sweat because it is absolutely scorching outside and then going past every single um, hydration station and just necking loads of water. And then by the end of that race, they are very, very, um, shall we say, hydrated or intoxicated by water, but their blood sodium levels are super low and they get across the finish line. They have a huge amount of uh, water on top of this to, again, think about rehydration and this is where accidents uh, do happen. And unfortunately, in some cases, it can be very fatal. So again, this is like rare circumstances, but it can happen. So we can just offset this by having some form of sodium in our drinks. First of all, like I mentioned, we probably wouldn't be thinking about having some sodium in our diet. So or should we say increased sodium in our diet leading up to the event itself to ensure that we're starting with uh, relatively high blood sodium values. Then all we need to think about then during the event itself is just trying to maintain this as best as possible. Now, the recommendations for most are about 500 to 700 milligrams of sodium per liter of fluid. Uh, from the top of my head, I believe that your typical isotonic sports drink like Powerade will have, have about 250 milligrams of sodium per 500 mil. So two of those bottles uh, pretty much hits those recommendations quite nicely. Um, what we got to also remember is that you're also going to get electrolytes from any food that you have throughout that event, um, especially things like your energy gels, energy bars and stuff. They're going to be sort of fortified with uh, like electrolytes. So you most likely if you're uh, consuming, you know, isotonic sports drinks, uh, energy gels, have some food, you should be a okay um unless you know you are exercising and competing in very 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 hot um climates and you are a very salty sweater that's when we perhaps need to go into this in a little bit more detail just to almost just find out how much sodium you do lose on an hourly basis and you can prescribe a little bit better um to meet those body demands but for most 500 to 700 milligrams per liter of fluid um, is absolutely ideal. Point number four, we're going to be looking at those carb to fat ratios during the event itself. Now, when we're looking at, you know, shorter events or different sports, for, for example, team sports and so on, we're very much just going to be pounding carbohydrates throughout. And yes, we're going to follow that same uh, train of thought for ultra endurance events, but we probably need to account for fat intake as well. So first of all, uh, with regards to the amount of carbohydrates we need per hour, 
if we're going to be looking about 90 grams of carbohydrates. So we know that high amounts of carbohydrates on an hourly basis can lead to gastrointestinal distress, uh, i.e. the vomiting and shitting of oneself. So obviously we want to avoid that as best as possible. And again, this is why we need to trial these things in training first. But the way I can we can kind of mitigate this is getting these 90 gram of carbohydrates in via multiple sources of carbs. And I just break that down into 30 grams of liquid, 30 grams of semi-solid, and then 30 grams of solid. Uh, and this perhaps doesn't overload the gut, uh, carbohydrate gut transporters and you don't get that bottleneck situation quite as much. So say for example, uh, we want to have like say an isotonic drink running in the background and that is again about 30 grams of carbohydrates running uh, with 500 ml of fluid. So your 6% solution, have that running in the background. Then we wanna throw in semi-solid foods. So these like your energy gels, you're gonna get around 25 grams of carbohydrates through there and probably throw in some more solid based foods. Now this could be like a carbohydrate bar. It could be like bagels, it could be stuff like that. So something a little bit more solid that you can chew on, but just make sure it's palatable. And I would kind of run that throughout the event um, as long as we need to. And what I'll look to do then is I'll try and to make it as varied as possible in terms of the flavors. So it's more palatable and you don't get bored of it. And so you're almost just looking forward to like a different flavor on an hourly basis. So say for example, your energy gels, if you're having one per hour for up to eight hours, you know, that can get really boring and really quite sickly. So if you have different flavors on an hourly basis, you know, you almost have something to look forward to and that can help with adherence and so on because ultimately you can get pretty bored having the same thing for a long period of time. Now, if you go and say above eight hours, um, this is where hunger could potentially be an issue. And this is perhaps where we need to put in actual sort of foods, um, something, you know, very palatable that can digest well, doesn't give any gastrointestinal distress, and that's going to be a little bit of trial and error. And this is potentially as well where we can get a little bit of fat in there too. Now, here's one of the cool things. Now, I was very much uh, perhaps a little bit too dogmatic with this uh, whole carb thing. Just thinking, right, carbs, 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 carbs. It doesn't matter what the duration is. We're just going to hammer you with carbohydrates. We're going to drown you in carbs. Well, that might not be the case. Yes, you need to have adequate carbohydrates. But if you can't get enough in and you're not able to meet the body's demands, uh, or should we say the body's calorie demands, then this could be detrimental to overall performance and finishing. So if I just pull up one stat uh, or one quote, so they said throughout a 100 mile race, finishers consumed a total of 98.1 grams of fat, which was approximately fivefold greater than those that didn't finish the race. So this kind of suggests like, yes, carbohydrates will play its part to a certain extent, but if you cannot hit the calorie quota needed, um, then that could essentially cause you to drop out and fail. So therefore, some fat might be very beneficial. And again, if we're thinking of these long races, like 100-mile running races, uh, it's going to take you quite a while. So, you know, and this is where boredom and palatability kind of comes into it. Like if they're still banging in sort of energy gels, you know, back end of the race, they're going to be so sick of their life. It's not going to really work. Um, but if they're having, say, uh, bagels with some peanut butter on or and some jam and stuff like that, yes, you've got carbohydrates, but you also got a decent amount of fat in it as well. So that's going to be 
more interesting to eat and that's going to help them first of all meet the carbohydrate quota and their overall um, calorie quota as well. Now, just a quick note when it comes to introducing fat into uh, the event itself. You know, if you're doing these huge distances, 100 mile running races and so on, most likely your overall intensity is going to be a little bit lower. Therefore, you perhaps will have a little bit more blood surrounding the gut to facilitate the digestion and absorption of these nutrients. Now, if the intensity is higher, when there's less blood around your gut to support uh, digestion and, and um, absorption of nutrients, then that can cause you know gut issues, and that's when you run into problems. So if you are performing at higher intensities, even if you're doing an Ironman or something, which is like you know, 8, 10, 12 hours or have you, um, you can still be competing at quite high intensities and, you know, the duration is quite high, you still probably wouldn't uh, opt for fatty-based foods and you still have very much a carbohydrate-centric approach. But if you go in for these huge distances where intensity is lower, this is perhaps where we can introduce um, some fatty-based foods in there. And point five is the savory sweet continuum. So you'll know for yourself when you're doing these huge uh, distances. At the start, like, yeah, some sweet sugary foods is pretty sweet. You quite like the taste of that. But towards the end, like I mentioned, um, you're going to get pretty sick of it. And this is where issues with regards to your desire to eat and consume uh, carbohydrates can come into play and therefore affect subsequent uh, fueling and performance and potentially not finishing the event or race itself. So what's been shown in the research and kind of anecdotally is that, or shall we say in the research or questionnaires and so on, um, that athletes will like to have these sweet sugary foods to start with. And then as the race uh, progresses towards the end, they kind of just crave these high fat salty savory based foods um so when it comes to your planning maybe look at introducing these high fat savory foods in there to help um manage overall calorie consumption and therefore set you up for in a better or should put you in a better position to complete uh the event itself so the hypothesis behind this is perhaps to maintain a consistent chemical balance within the body. Um, you know, it could be a reflection of nutrient adequacies during the race, i.e. if you've lost a lot of sodium and a lot of salt uh, through high sweat rates and so on, then your body, or you might just crave uh, more salty-based foods to help uh, replace and replenish that difference, uh, deficiency there. Um, but I, one big thing behind this is like what I've kind of seen is, like I mentioned a few times in this podcast, is you know, test them, guess, trial this in training first to find out what works, what doesn't, what um, food you like having, what kind of gives you gut upset. You know, don't leave this to chance, don't leave it till the last minute. I know, do these kind of dry runs, okay? Um, what's also worth looking as well in terms of the food and nutrient provision is actually look at the course. So what opportunities are you actually going to have to eat? So if you're doing, say, you know, 15 hours on an ultra endurance bike ride, you know, look at the profile of that course. Where is it mostly flat? Perhaps it's an ideal opportunity to get something a bit more solid in there. When you're going uphill, when's it going to be really difficult to actually eat? 
okay, perhaps don't uh, plan on having any form of solid-based foods there. Then if you've got a long descent, yeah, probably going to be um, pretty detrimental to you and your overall sort of race completion if you're trying to eat and munch on something with both hands while you're going down on a downhill on a descent. Uh, if you crash, you are fucked. So again, just plan out the race itself. And so this is what I'm doing with a few sort of athletes at the moment who are doing long distance or bike rides. We're looking at the profile of the event and just planning in what foods will work when, uh, given the terrain, um, the elevation, you know, the uh, ascent, the descent, and so on. And then last one, if you are racing um, in a big event, you know, don't rely on the race organizers. Um, find out what works with you, plan for it, and take it with you if you can. If you can't, for some reason, if you're doing it abroad and you can't take things abroad with you for some reason, what I suggest then is find out what the event is supplying. Um, so what brands are they using, what energy gels are using, what drinks they're handing out in their sort of um, hydration and fueling station. And then if these uh, food products and drinks uh, work well with you, they sit well with you, they don't give you any gastrointestinal distress, then sweet, just rock with them and you know you're going to be absolutely sweet for the event itself. But if not, that's when we have to be a little bit more proactive uh, with our own nutrient provision uh, for that event. So guys, this is the five key considerations uh, for an ultra endurance event. So I hope that helps. Uh, if there's any questions or queries about this, as always, please reach out and let me know via Instagram DM. That's the best place to get hold of me and to get my attention. Um, always got time to answer your questions and queries and so on. Just reach out and let me know. And if you did find this podcast useful today, please like, share on your Instagram stories if possible and subscribe. Until next time, guys. Goodbye.